0: In the 21st century.
1: Hard- Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial Advisors out of blistery cold, uh, about Boca Raton, Florida. It was what 47 degrees last night,
0: 47. Yes,
1: Whew, man, that's chilly. Goodness,
0: uh, palm, 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 palm futures are going through the roof because of it. This <laughs>
1: oh, that's funny. All right, a couple <laughs> things we want to hit on for sure today. One is the uh, the, uh, today, the weekly export sales report comes out, but more importantly, you've been talking about it for a while, but the U.S. dollar is showing some signs of, of slipping to the downside, which is positive for the exports. So talk about what you're seeing happen with the U.S. dollar right now. Yeah,
0: I mean, we're really, really seeing a breakdown, technically, on the charts, the U.S. dollar, um, especially over the last two weeks. And it's starting to you know, gain momentum now, and when we look at all the, uh, the dollar cycles, the political cycle, we know that the dollar likes to decline into the U.S. elections. Uh, we know that uh, from a calendar year standpoint, the U.S. dollar likes to top out in the month of December. And so uh, in the longer term cycle, say that the dollar should be, you know, should have topped in 2017 and it should be heading lower. Uh, the Fed's printing money again. The U.S. economy continues to show very dicey economic data. All this suggests that we could be in a... In a lower dollar cycle, which changes all the rules of engagement. It increases our exports. It increases our price based upon international price in terms of how you translate it. Um, And it creates the fuel for inflationary speculation on the, on the the behalf of the speculators, the algorithms. People want to put money in to protect against inflation. Whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter, but they're going to do it anyway. And we haven't really had that, Casey, that kind of a, a tailwind in a long time. But I think we may be about entering the currency inflation cycle at least in 2020, and that really boy, would that be a, a boost for U.S. producers, U.S. prices, especially the time we've had much, much smaller crops? So, so, we're hopeful and optimistic that that could really be a game changer for you know, what we've been dealing with for the last couple of years: which is strong dollar um, and and trade war hammering our markets. It could be, uh, it could, we could be reversing those trends over the next twelve months so
1: yeah that would be awesome i mean i mean there's there's two sides to each coin right so i mean as the dollar goes down there's some things that happen with 401ks and those kind of things but but from a from the farm economy side which really needs a boost right now that could be that could be a really big thing for uh for a lot of producers out there for every producer out there all right so let's jump in and talk about this week of the export uh sales report that's coming out here this afternoon yet or early this morning i guess later this morning um I guess, what's your thoughts on there? Any surprises gonna, that we should see pop up there? Any, any big big moves that, that, you're, that you're paying attention to?
0: Well, I continue to think we're going to see big exports for wheat. Um, you know, we've, we've had two years in a row of Russian production being down, way down from where it was supposed to be. Their exports have already been contracting. We've already had very good exports. U.S., the wheat market's been a bright spot for exports. One of the only grain markets has, has had consistent Good exports. I know soybeans have had good exports since the Chinese start buying. Them. But in terms of persistent throughout the year, you know, wheat, wheat exports have been good. And, and last week we saw corn exports finally show some the first sign of life that there's, that there's a bounce in the step there. And so I'm looking for bigger and bigger numbers coming out of corn. I think South America's kind of front and loaded. They're out of the way. U.S. supplies are down. Uh, and, uh, and 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 the market needs more corn, so I'm I'm pretty optimistic that today and, and in future reports, the corn market is going to really see a big increase in, in export expectations, and that should start to allay those bearish fears and maybe start people thinking about drawing down those ending stocks that the USDA has said are going to be large. Which I don't believe, but nonetheless, that's what they right.
1: say. Yeah, I don't believe that either, man. I've heard that several times about these ending stocks are going to be so big because the crop we have coming in and everything else. And the people i talk to have have been consistently anywhere from 10 to 25% off of what they were last year on just the average yield and the average field. So I I have a hard time believing that there's some, that I live in some pocket someplace, which would be the North American continent um, that, that there's these big, huge swings coming because there's just like this mystery utopian field someplace that's going to just have this huge amount of cor- corn and soybeans come out of it. I just I have a hard time buying that. No one
0: I talk to, whether it's a grain, grain elevators and such, are telling me that the corn's falling out of the, out of the silos. None of them. Everything is, you know, corn's way down. Supplies are down. We have as much as we should have. We have as much as we would like to have. I don't see it.
1: I don't see it. Yeah. And eventually have to come out. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Yeah. Alright, so back to the wheat thing. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, read an article this morning uh in in pro farmer and talked about how uh australia's having the driest november on record and and crops are just burning up which is this is their summertime their harvest time um what they see happening out there so i guess talk about that overall wheat market you know just down the way here a little bit there's another thing talking about um russian wheat exports lag a uh, year ago from a year ago uh, as margins widen so you know i'm there like to your point if that. if the uh, as you watch the markets here, the uh, corn and soybean market kind of bounces back and forth, and kind of swaps back and forth. That a lot of volatility in the overall um, wheat market right now. So, talk about that wheat market and what's happening there.
0: Well, you know, you, you know Russia has just become the big, big dominant exporter of wheat. Uh, prolific, actually. And so, you know, they were down last year something like fifteen percent from the year before. They, they, their production this year is essentially flat from last year, so it's still not good. And what they did last year was they depleted their ending stocks to keep their exports up. And this year, they don't have the ending stocks to fill the gap. And that's why we're already seeing exports fall um, you know, from a year ago. At the same time, Australia's in the third year of a drought. In fact, and this crop looks like it's going to be the worst out of the three, uh, which is, I mean, they're down, their crop's off over 50% from what it was three years ago. You know, you keep adding these up, uh, Casey, you know, you keep chopping and chopping and chopping and chopping at some point. And when we look at exporter wheat stocks to usage globally, and we take China, we take China off the table because nobody knows what to believe from that country because they just make up the numbers. But when we look at China apart, we're looking at some of the tightest stocks since 2012, which was a time that wheat markets saw $8 a bushel. I'm not projecting eight. That was an inflationary environment. We had a drought in the U.S., we had a drought in Russia, but what I'm saying is that the market is pretty tight. And from what I see, uh, you know, uh, the U.S. is the only place that has some to sell, and, and I don't. And, and actually, we don't have that much to sell either. So, so the wheat market looks really, really good to me, especially the higher quality end of the market, like Minneapolis wheat, for example. You know, we think is really going to be in high supply because what's missing from Russia, what's missing from Australia, when you have those kinds of bad weather conditions is you miss the quality, the quality downgrades. You get plenty of the lower quality stuff, but you get less of the higher quality stuff. And our smart money algorithm uh, has shown dramatic buying here in the last parabolic buying in the last two or three weeks. And we just triggered a significant buy signal in Minneapolis wheat this week. Um, the last time we had one a couple of months back, the market rallied over 60 cents. Um, so we, we really think that the wheat market looks good, but especially Minneapolis wheat, we think that could be a sleeper here. So, you know.
1: All right, so let's bounce over and talk about the uh the dairy market for a minute. So just the other day, which I haven't had a chance to really digest at all, but I did read the front page of your uh dairy report that came out. And we've talked about that a little bit here, but there's some strong uh strong support coming out of New Zealand still with uh the class four milk and the milk powder thing and and how that supplies uh, you know, China and Australia and and pretty much the rest of the world when it comes to to uh milk powder. Um what are you seeing there and, and what are some of the some of the different factors playing into what we see in the dairy market right now?
0: <clears throat> well, I mean, we went back and we tried to look at the three biggest New Zealand weather shocks that we had in the last 20 years. because um, you know, markets always anticipate whether it's buy the rumor, sell the news. Eventually you factor in weather and then you move on to something else. I mean, weather's not a is not a permanent feature. And what we found was, is that when we get weather spikes or weather shocks in New Zealand, the big, the big spike trades in September, like this one did, and they tend to top somewhere between early December and early January uh, consistently. And then they have a kind of a, a post-weather uh, correction, you know, a, a buyer's and worse correction when the market comes up, comes off of that. And so, but we think that even though the, you know, the, the supplies have been down and the weather and the prices have been up and the weather's been poor, we're at the point we've probably factored most of it in for now. And that given the historical tendency to top out in the month of December, we think that the U.S. milk price, Class 3 price, Class 4 price probably has some vulnerability to the downside as we move into our, our peak production season in the spring. So, so we'd be a little cautious here. Uh, you know, we've been bullish this market. We've been expecting the spike trade to continue, and it has. But we really think one ought to be looking at getting some milk priced. I mean, we're at 19 plus. You know, a year ago, we were looking at low 13s. Right, yeah.
1: You know, I,
0: mean, I you know, at some point, you have to sell, Casey. You've you got to sell at some point. And we think this is a good place to do it. And then we also look at relative value of Class 3 and Class 4 to all other commodities. And right now, relative to all the commodities, you know, milk is at some of the highest levels since 2008 and 2014, which were both, you know, pretty good times to sell milk. So doesn't mean it's that, that, there's, that we can't have a, a much higher price later on, but for now, I think we're due for a setback. And so we're, we're, we're kind of ringing the, the cautionary tones now for dairy farmers to get some sales on the books and make sure this good economic advantage that they have gotten, they get to keep. So
1: right on. Right on, man. So I guess let's talk about – let's jump over and look at the beef complex for uh, for a minute here. And it looks like you know, beef prices have uh, kind of sliding a little bit, and the cash market expectations are kind of all over the place right now. So talk about what's going on in the cattle market right now. We've seen – I think we might be at just at that point where we've seen some pretty uh, accelerated growth here since that fire uh, in, in Kansas, that Tyson fire in Kansas – and maybe there's some leveling off coming out of that. But talk about what you see happening in the cattle market right now.
0: Well, you know, like we talked about with dairy and weather, you know, there's been a buy the rumor, buy ahead of this Tyson plant coming back online, you know, yep. and then it comes online. And so I think we're, we're entering sell the news, you know, by anticipation, right. Now they're selling the news as they're about ready to fire up the engines again. Uh, not to mention seasonally, uh, cattle market has a pretty reliable trend and it likes to correct. From late November into December, um, we went. We were right against some pretty important uh, chart resistance on the April contract around one twenty-eight, one thirty, which we hit. You know, everything just says time for a pause. I mean, we went straight up for months. You know, markets don't conti- just don't continue to do that forever. At some point, there is a pause and a setback, and this is just a logical place for it to do it. We don't think it's over. We don't think it's the end. We think it's just a healthy pause that will kind of recalibrate the market and get it ready for the next search hires move into the, uh, you know, it was moving to the first and second quarter, but definitely a setback and, and something that we've con- kind of warning about. So,
1: yep. Yep. Well, plenty of stuff going on here, Sean, that is, as we talked about here, we hit about four or five different things here that have just lots of ramifications about what's happening out there. So folks need more information about uh, what's going on or just maybe just some news articles they can pick up or just your, um, your reflections on what's happening in the market. What's the best way to do that?
0: Our website is Hackett H A C K E T advisors.com. The homepage is all kinds of stuff on there they can take a look at. And uh, if they like what we uh, how we think and what we do, they could certainly uh, you know seek us out. So that would be a great place to start.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well Sean Hackett with Hackett Financial Advisors down there in Chile, Boca Raton, Florida. And I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast uh, up here in cold nebraska and uh if you want to check me out hit me up on facebook twitter instagram moving iron llc uh check out my website movingironllc.com or check out the moving iron blog if you get a chance you want to read some stuff about what my reflections are of what's happening at these clip marketplace um make sure you check out the network.com uh, go down and on the bottom of the page there's a subscription for a newsletter they have going on Make sure you check that out and uh, subscribe to that for the latest news from the, all the hosts of uh, the various podcasts in the Global Act Network. So, for uh, Sean Hackett, I'm Casey Seymour. Let's go move some iron. Out. Iron
0: in the 21st century. Heart